what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson, and as always, Chris Fry is right across the table from me as we record this episode. We are both co-directors and co-founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how's it going, man? Going going well. Uh, summer's winding down, so the movies are also kind of trickling down, but we've got a couple good ones to talk about today. And then I guess before too long, we're going to start having the uh, the rush for Oscar season and everything, but we've got that yeah. slight little kind of pause on things. So. Yeah, this is a kind of late summer, kind of post-summer but pre-Oscar season. So you're right. The number of films coming out, well, I mean, there's still films coming out every week, but the number of ones that are really interesting ones to talk about uh, get a little fewer and far between, but we do have two interesting ones to talk about today, as well as some movie news we'll be sharing later in the episode. And as always, our recommendations we give at the end of the episode of some films we think are worth checking out online right now. But the two films we'll be reviewing in full today First up will be the latest in the Predator series of films. This one called Prey, actually acting as a prequel to all the other Predator movies. Directed by Dan Trachtenberg, we'll be discussing the film Prey. And then we'll be switching over to the latest film by A24, uh, starring a Mr. Pete Davidson. And we've got a whole other list of characters, uh, Maria Bakalova, Rachel Sinat, and several others. It is the... I guess horror slash slasher film, how we want to phrase it, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And I didn't just repeat that. That is actually the title. Three bodies in a row. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. We'll be talking about those two films, giving our reviews of each of those. Before we move into our movie news, give a little taste of a new trailer of a film we're interested in checking out. And then, of course, wrap up with our recommendations at the end. So, Chris, are we ready to jump into our first review Yes, let's do it. All right, here we go. It's the review of the film Prey. Why do you want to hunt? Because you all think that I can't. I saw a sign in the sky. I'm ready. My only Nita. With Prey, we kind of have a sequel that nobody asked for to a franchise that most feel has overstayed its welcome. It kind of has a tough job. For film snobs, which, yes, I admittedly am one, it kind of has to come up with a unique enough premise to justify its existence, and then it has to have a cast and a director that can carry it off. Alan, do you feel like... What were your feelings on Prey? Do you feel like it... uh, was able to kind of justify its existence. Well, um, yes. Okay. First off, yes. So just so everybody's kind of uh, clear on what we're what what the film is kind of what this film is. You know, it's it is in a sense an origin story of the Predator. You know, the old Arnold Schwarzenegger film 
that had spawned many, many sequels. I think arguably, you know, none of the sequels really ever kind of lived up to what that original set up as from a popularity standpoint. And I, I think quality too. I mean, I do think the first Predator movie was a really fun movie. I mean, for an 80s action movie, 80s sci-fi movie, I thought it was fun. It was, it was a good movie. Um, they've tried so many different approaches with the Predator since then. And it. How many of them have you seen? Maybe two of them. Okay. I don't know. And then I'm not even counting the Aliens versus Predator whole spinoff stuff, too. It's just been a lot. So this was the first one that was to, to be announced that I kind of was excited or interested about, mainly because you know the director, Dan Trachtenberg, had done uh, 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 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I did really like. That was another film that kind of surprised me because it was also in a franchise of some sort but actually I think stood alone and did something unique with that franchise. And that's kind of what I think happened with prey here as well. It's tapping into a franchise could have gone a very easy route, but instead they decided to make something that in my mind was very entertaining, had a very interesting situation and in that this happens 300, maybe 300 years ago. If you, I mean, there's not really a date on it, but it's during the time of the Comanche nation. Right. So the argument is it's probably a few hundred years old um, before kind of modern civilization. So it's a very unique colonial time. It's a very unique setting for an action film, especially a sci-fi action film. Mm -hmm. So that made it really interesting to me. Um, I did have fun with it. I think it was a good action movie. I think it was a good thriller. I think it... Had some really, really, really cool visuals that I kind of wouldn't mind going back and seeing again at times. Um, you know, not not super heavy on plot, but I don't really think it needed to be. I think this is a film that really just wanted to kind of give you an experience that is fairly unique while still falling in that same boundaries of a, quote, predator movie, whatever that may mean to you. Um, so I... I did like, I've got some very specifics to cover, but I'd like to hear your thoughts, Chris, on, on what you thought about this film. I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, you know, you'd mentioned Dan Trachtenberg and yeah, I've kind of been a fan of his. I remember when he used to do a podcast, video podcast, totally rad show. And he was always interesting with his insights into movies. You could tell he's somebody who really loved movies. Mm-hmm. And I think he brought that sensibility to 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I think he, brings it to this as well. He directed it and I guess at least helped partially write it. Um, so he's one of the two writers. The other person listed is Patrick Ason. Um, so story by both of them, but yeah, I liked it. It was unique enough. It kept me interested. Um, and I, I guess my only trepidation is will this launch, will this relaunch the franchise, which as I kind of mentioned in my intro, yeah, I saw no, so no reason for there to be another predator film, but this is unique enough that I was like, okay, this is a unique take. Um, this is interesting, but I, I it's like, it's kind of like lightning in a bottle. I don't know if you could, <laughs> if you could make another one and have it be this interesting. Mm-hmm. So, but no, I, I liked it. Like you said, the visuals are really good. Um, the plot such as it is, is fine. Cause you don't really expect that in just right. an action movie. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. This predator is going to try to kill them. They're going to try to kill him. Okay, great. That's all you really need. To well, know. even the, the whole concept of the predator is about as simple a plot <laughs> narrative as you can get. Right. A creature comes from another planet with the sole intent of hunting. Sure. There you go. That's your plot. I mean, he's hunting and people are trying to stop him. So that's, that's what you get. Yeah. And 
you're right. From the story standpoint, there's not a lot unique here or different or interesting. It's it's really the way the story is told, the location it's told in, and the people involved. I mean, so we do have actual you know Native American yes. stars in this film. Uh, we've got Amber Mid Thunder who stars as Which Naru. Is an amazing name. It's an amazing name, and she's really good and too. She, she I is mean, really good. she is. I I I'm already predicting right now. She is unfortunately going to be put in a lot more action movies. Should be like probably. a Sigourney Weaver type person. Yeah, and okay. may not always be as good as this film, unfortunately. But I do think she's going to get type typecast as that. For better, for worse. She's really good in this role. She's uh, got a very strong physical presence, I think, but she also acts when she needs to act. Or, and and I, you know, the emotional side of things that she had to portray. I think it was great. Uh, Dakota Beavers starred as, I think, her, her brother. Her brother, yeah, yeah Tabe. Mm-hmm. Um, those were really the two leads. And then we have several other actors that were also Native American actors in these roles as well. And, um, you know, all of that, the setting, interesting enough, again, you know, just as you start to roll into this and you realize this is a science fiction action movie set during these colonial times, but following Comanche tribe and they're dealing with the predator made it interesting enough for me. Um, but then when we get to the visual side of it, I, I, I do think this is a good looking movie. It's a very good looking action movie. There's some really... Uh, creative, interesting shots at use. Uh, I'm thinking of you know, one in particular, like an overhead shot where you kind of see the the lead character, Naru, kind of running through a field and you see the predator who's kind of invisible, mm-hmm. but you're kind of moving through, kind of catching up. Some little visual flourishes like that. I think some of the, uh, not to be all geeky about it, but some of the tech or weaponry that the predator uses and the way they showed it visually in the film was also really creative. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is a gory film. There's a lot of blood and <laughs> sure. guts. But they also did some very, I thought, some very tasteful ways of showing some of it where it wasn't always so gratuitous. Um, it, it it was a lot more, there was a lot more implied violence than actual on-screen violence, I felt like. Okay. Which was good. I mean, you know, it's yeah, it could have been even, it could have been really over Oh, it could have been really, really you. bad, but, uh, or gory and violent. It still was. I mean, it was definitely a violent film, but there was a lot of interesting ways of showing some of those confrontations that I think, uh, actually worked for me really well. Um, so no, it was just, I, to me, it was a, it was a fun film. Sure. It was great. Um, will they make a sequel off of this? I'm sure they're going to probably try to, <laughs> if this thing was successful. Now it's a Hulu movie. So right away, we don't have a lot of you know box office numbers to deal with and all that. So whether or not this is popular enough to warrant a sequel, I'm not sure. Um, well, speaking of it being a Hulu movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if you haven't seen the film, but you are on things like Twitter and stuff like that, or, um, you've probably heard a lot of people say, oh, you know, why was this put on Hulu? Um, it would have been awesome in the theater. What are your, like, how do you, would you join the chorus of voices that are, Saying that. Well, um, yes, I do think it would have been awesome on a big screen. However, I kind of understand with this film why they probably went this route. I, I'm not going to say it's not that this is a low budget film. It is not a low budget film, but it doesn't have a lot rel- of big names. But relatively though. speaking, right. it is a relatively low budget film for compared to a lot of other big sci fi films. Sure. Um, but it was also a little risky too. I mean, this is one that I, I, I do think if they had released it in uh, theaters and, and, and depended on a big box office, 
might not have done as well. I mean, it might have had a very niche audience to it and maybe not not worked as well. It was a little more of a daring film, I think, to be able to put it in this setting with these characters with no big star appeal to it. And and take a franchise that's been around for 30 years. I don't know. Maybe they kind of hedged their bets and said, all right, well, Hulu is a safer bet. We'll see how many people actually go and watch it, but not have to worry about big distribution costs and all that in the theaters. I don't know. I would have liked to have seen it in the big, big screen, but it was still fun and enjoyable enough for me, even on a, on sure. a TV set. I, I, you know, I, you and I are both positive on it. Um, I liked it. I think if I had seen it, in the theater, I would probably even be more high on it just because the visuals yeah. and the impact would have made it that much more enjoyable. Sure, I could see um, that. But no, yeah, it's still Plus, good. I think this is one that would be kind of fun with an audience to watch sure. as well. So, sure. you know, just because anytime you have a thriller or, you know, especially when there are some English settlers uh, uh, that are kind of positioned as the bad guys in places and you get to see some of them possibly meet their end, mm-hmm. that's the kind of crowd thing where you kind of, you know, would have fun with a crowd of people around sure. you to watch it. So sure. yeah, it would have been a really good theater experience, but overall I, I thought it was a really well-made film, well-made action film. Would I like to see another version of this? Maybe every hundred years <laughs> of civilization, you know, I mean, kind of a uh, go a little bit later so in like civilization. Oh, okay. Civil war time. I was about to say 20th century Fox. Who Like mm-hmm. hey, civil war time, a predator entering that thing. Yeah. That that could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying yeah. they they are kind of setting up to where they could Actually, do and that dropped kind of thing right in the middle of civil war. We yes. have these two factions. That that would be interesting. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. So there We've you already. Uh, yeah. We'll expect our residual checks once. And then that's they can made do it again with like World War Two. That yeah. would be like a World War Two movie that I'd actually be interested in seeing mm-hmm. because it hasn't been done before. We'll just think of how <laughs> wild that would be a World War Two movie with a predator dropped in right. running like, around. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's something there. And maybe yes. that's part of the thinking of it is, well, we don't want to go any further back than this time right. period. So here we are. We're starting here. But this idea is this. Obviously, this creature comes back. We mm-hmm. know he comes back in the 1980s. So, And then he comes back. Predator 2 was like a couple of years after that. Yeah. Right? With like Danny Glover or whatever. So why why would he have stayed away for 300 years? Right. Well, after this one came down, why would the race stay away for 300 right. years and wait? I don't know. Right. Um, so anyway, could be interesting. Um, I do think it was, I think it was a good movie. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, Alan, if you're expecting a big plot, you're expecting a, you know, a lot of narrative involved. Don't cause it's not <laughs> that film. It is truly a hunt chase, um, thriller with some sci-fi elements thrown in a very unique environment with the native American culture around it. So, so I got to ask this for you because I know a lot of times you, you like talking animal movies. This, this dog did not talk, <laughs> oh, true. but, uh, you know, I the relationship the between, yes. uh, Naru and her dog. How, yeah. how did you, Oh, the dog was great. The dog was great. I actually read an article about the dog after okay. the film and it turns out the dog is like a rescue dog and not like really a professionally trained Hollywood dog. <laughs> and they okay. really had trouble working with it, like trying to get him to do, but they actually, it played so well, they actually kind of increased his part a little bit okay. in the film. I liked cool. him a lot. I thought he was a great, great companion dog for Naru. And, and I, uh, I thought it, it was it was cool, and I thought there was just enough. Because, yeah. you know, the tendency, I guess, if you're trying to maybe hit certain items on a checklist, might have been to make it a little sugary sweet or something yeah. like that. But no, it was there, but it was used – I thought it was used just yeah. enough. Yeah. So. 
the only real uh, the only real hit I'd, I'd put on the film and again this I think has to do with the budget has to do with the production level CGI in some places especially animals other animals I know this was really not great and it's tough like doing an animal full animals like a bear or anything like that in CGI is tough these were a little it was it was pretty clear to me that you know they're computer animated uh, it took out of the film just a little bit uh, in the early part of the film. Mm-hmm. I don't think I noticed it much later as the film went on, but those first 30, 40 minutes, we have some animal encounters. Sure. And I think those were a little, a little dodgy and uh, could have been a budgetary thing. Could have been a, Hey, we're just going to put on Hulu. People are going to be watching on TV. So we don't want to <laughs> go overboard on the special effects. Right. Um, that would be my only little hit towards the film. But um, otherwise I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun. I'll, I'll, just one last thing I'll say too. You touched on it, but um, the thread of having like the trapper, the hunter trappers um, yeah. in this film was a nice thread because, or for me, I thought it was interesting because you know you have the Comanche Nation on one hand that yes, they do hunt, they do kill animals, but they're very respectful. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, you have these hunter trappers who are just decimating entire herds of bison, buffalo, or whatever. But just you know, for the person, they just leave the corpses everywhere and then kind of an interesting in between which i'm not exactly sure what they want you to think about it is this predator it's like Mm -hmm. okay does it it is hunting but it gets trophies but yeah i I don't know and like what so it's kind of like you have this one side then you have the hunter trappers and then the like i don't know it's kind of an interesting kind of setup kind of a little thing that you know if this was just a typical action film maybe they wouldn't have bothered to put that in there but they you know, it was something they a little extra something they put in there for you to definitely think about. were showing some some parallels. Yeah, there and that the the Comanche Nation was already dealing with these hunter trappers, and that's right. basically what the predator is. Is true, same idea. Right. So it's like they were already a little skilled in kind of being able to detect and know how to how to how to avoid or confront them when needed. Um, I think there was definitely some interesting parallels they were trying to draw on there. Is that, in other words, our civilization, we've already always had predators sure. to some degree, not quite to the one that we have in this movie, <laughs> no, no. but you know, um, right. I think that was kind of the idea and the message they were going for. Sure. Yeah. So that is prey. Prey is on Hulu, which mm-hmm. I think is a little bit of a challenge. I mean, Hulu's not the number one streaming service, you know, it's not as I think uh, prominent as right now Disney Plus or Netflix might be, or even HBO Max. So it's a little more limited in as far as the audience. But um, well, and a lot of people were saying that's exactly why this was put on Hulu because it was a big push to push subscriptions up. I'd be surprised if it didn't because not did only work. it was yeah. a good, it's a good action movie. I think people who were already fans of the franchise were eager to see it, and mm-hmm. then the buzz coming off of it is good. I mean, the critical sure. response has been really, really strong. We both liked it. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I think and that's gotta be doing good things for Hulu. I would imagine. Sure. So we'll certainly see, but that's the only place you can see it. No that's theaters, right. nowhere else. It's just on Hulu right now. So that is prey directed by uh, Dan Trachtenberg available. Now we encourage you to check it out. We both are favorable on the film. Okay, Chris, let's switch up and go to our second film, which is the horror slash slasher movie slash a little bit of teen drama. I don't know. We'll get into it. It is the film, not teen, 20-somethings. I'm a little off on the Comedy, I get, because there's some... Yeah, there's some of that, too, yeah. 
We'll get into it. The film is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I will go pause. You don't have to be nervous. I- I'm not nervous. Wow, the hell so impressive. You're impressive. They're going to be obsessed with you. They're not as nihilistic as they look on the internet. You guys, this is me. Oh, whoa. Chris, with the f- horror comedy thriller slasher movie Bodies, 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 we follow a group of 20-something-year-olds who plan a hurricane party. So the idea is they've got this house in this big family mansion that is owned by one of the character's parents. And there's a hurricane coming, so they plan a party where they're going to basically be in the house during the, the hurricane. And unfortunately, this party turns deadly as they start a game amongst the players called Bodies, 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 being the name of the game. Mm-hmm. That actually spirals and turns into a very... Uh, violent, bloody affair across all of them. And at the same time, takes a little exploration into are these people truly friends? What do they truly think about each other? Right. Um, frenemies. Frenemies to some degree. So a little bit of a whodunit involved, a little bit of a mystery, a little bit of, of some, some horror elements. But uh, it is produced by A24, which is a studio that you and I are both big fans of and have done a lot of great independent or smaller, uh, smaller scale cinema mm-hmm. over the years, a nice variety of things kind of started in a true independent sense, but they've gotten some bigger films. This being one that I'm not going to say is a big film, but you do have some actors in it that you might recognize. Lee Pace is in the film stars as a character named Greg. You've got Pete Davison, who I mentioned in the setup as David. He's the one whose uh, parents own the mansion where all this takes place. And then uh, from um, the film, oh gosh, what was the film we reviewed with Rachel Sonnot in it? Uh, Shiva Baby. Shiva Baby. Mm-hmm. Rachel Sonnot in that as Alice. Uh, Amandala Steinberg as Sophie. Maria Bakalova, who we saw in the sequel to the Borat movie. Mm-hmm. She is there as B. So, um, so Chris, with this film, I know... We like the studio. We kind of are typically a little more excited when when the studio does release these films. Although you and I are not big slasher movie, violent, uh, you know, that's not our forte necessarily either. True. But this had enough of an interesting mix of of uh, genres in it to, to, to pique our interest. So I'm curious, Chris, what did you think of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? So... The anticipation for this film was probably a little too high for me um, because it was, like you mentioned, an A24. Uh, one other film of theirs that's come out this season, which I don't think we reviewed on the show because I don't believe you saw it, um, but it was X. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, that came out, and I, I liked that, even though, like you mentioned, it's not my typical. It was kind of a riff on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. which I have never seen the original. <laughs> so that should tell you right there. Yeah, just horror movies in general aren't my bag. But when A24 puts one out, I'll tend to give it more of a, a shot because yeah. there's usually something there other than just watching people get killed. Um, so for this one, I was I was hoping for a little more. You mentioned some of the names of some of the actors and actresses that were involved. So I thought that would, that would help it. Um, I will say, so I was kind of, you know, the, the premise was interesting. They set it up. The acting was good. You know, the, it wasn't along the acting. It was just really the story. Once it got going and kind of the power went out, people started freaking out that their cell phones couldn't get service. It kind of got to be 
just wait for the body count to pile up, which mm-hmm. they did. Um, and it wasn't that interesting to me. And also some of the shots and cinematography kind of delved off too, because when you're dealing with complete darkness and people running around a big mansion, but it's dark, there's just not really a lot to work with, which, you know, I guess that has to be for the, the story to work. I will say though, however, <laughs> um, the where the film ends up and the ending, I was like, okay, I, I do like this film better. I kind of not give it a pass. Oh, oh yeah, I'll give it a pass. I'll give it a favorable review because of where the film ultimately ended up. Now, that said, without spoiling anything, because you don't want to do that, because it is it is a mystery, yeah. as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted it to be a little bit more of a mystery, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, it was more about showing kind of the shallowness and the backstabbing going on. That's more of the focus of the film, which is fine. But I wanted it to be more interesting in that aspect. But there's a quibble... <laughs> and a cell phone scuffle. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when that is resolved, like I feel like the whole reason they were having the fight for the cell phone totally goes by the wayside. Yeah. And then something convenient happens that then reveals everything that's been going on. Now, like I said, I like where the film ends. Yeah, the resolution ends, was but good. But how they got like to that all, point, I was like, yeah. I don't understand why you would even bother doing that. Chris, but. you and I are, I, that's my note right here <laughs> okay. is that I loved the ending right. and what it resolved for you. But the way they got to the ending was so contrived. And clunky. Clunky yeah, right. and just made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> right. Yeah, that whole last scene. A, I felt like the ending, it just kind of kept dragging out for a good while. And, it, and when it finally got to that final reveal, yes, I mean, my, I did look back at the film and be like, okay, uh, yeah, that's it. actually kind of, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny if you right. look back on it, on how this all transpired based on what you'd learn at the end. But man, the way they got to that ending was just, just so, so, contr- they needed this person to do this one thing. Right. And the only way they could get there is to build this entire sequence to, that doesn't even make sense no, it how doesn't. it would lead to that no, action. It yeah. Doesn't. It was, uh, it, it was very clumsy. I'll know? say too. And wh- how I'm going to do this is just say, um, you know, we've mentioned the film's called bodies, bodies, bodies. You can guess that several people die. So body one, not a surprise. Not surprised how, you know, that, you know, you're like, oh, that makes sense. There goes body one. Body two, however, mm-hmm. the way that body is killed, that surprised me. And I was like, mm-hmm. huh, interesting. And I thought, you know, that in addition to how the movie ended up ending, mm-hmm. I thought was a very interesting thing because of how it puts certain things at odds. Oh, sure. The rest of it, I was like, meh, you know, <laughs> like I said, yeah. it kind of lulled me to sleep a little bit, but it, mm-hmm. it did redeem itself. Yeah. So. I, um, I was okay on this film. I, I, I got enough out of it to be, it was enjoyable to me. Um, I, I echo everything you said on just some concerns. There were some parts. I think the latter half of the film is it just kind of, it just kind of stretched out and just kind of got repetitive and it was not as interesting. The setup I thought was started to build some interesting ideas. The film tonally to me was a little mixed too. That first mm-hmm. half of the film I mean, there was comedy, but it was really more just situational, personality-driven comedy. It wasn't really satire until later in the film. There is a whole sequence, a whole conversation that goes on with like three or four of the girls. Is that the podcasting? Yes. (laughs) And that really ramped up to the level of satire where it was just, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous kind of in what they're saying and what they're – 
the use of uh, very politically correct terms and how sure. those got muddled in. I wish they had picked a tone. And if that had been the tone for the whole film, I think I would have like, you would have like not worried about the mystery side of it as much. You would have been focused more on the satire it was trying to right. create. But the first half of the film was played pretty straight. Sure. I felt like. And yeah. Then it got into this bit where it just got really over the top satire. And I loved it. It was a funny discussion. Mm-hmm. It was a funny situation. But I'm like, yeah, it just seemed really out of place from the film I've been watching up to this point. And then, um, and then that clumsy ending was just, uh, yeah, it didn't add up to a great total package. But um, you're not meant to like any of these characters necessarily correct and it's true i did not <laughs> i mean you didn't <laughs> like, like no, no desire to hang out with any of these people but i will note from a acting Come standpoint on, b you like b don't well you? b was okay she was fine but i mean she had there were some issues there too sure. you know so i will say for me the standout in this i mean all of them were good but rachel sonat i thought was <laughs> my favorite performance in the film just because I think she kind of did the most with the role she got to play. I mean, she had to play It's kind of a party girl. She, she's a little, little, uh, just, uh, ramped up to 11 on everything she does. Sure. She is the podcaster that we mentioned. She does get <laughs> a lot of stuff dumped on her at one point. She, she has the most fun with it. I think all of them are good in the, their roles, but I think she, she seemed to do the most with what she was given. And I, I really liked watching her. Um, oh, I take it back. The one character I think you are supposed to kind of like Greg Lee Pace's character. I mean, I like Greg. <laughs> so okay. I mean, you kind of wonder why is Greg there? And there's a lot of questions about get Greg's age compared to everybody else. Right. But I mean, at the end of the day, you like Greg. I mean, Greg, Greg is definitely a good, <laughs> I, I think, yeah. What, so you and I both are just okay on the film. Yeah, okay. Um, but I think you're right. The beginning is more of like they tried to just do some comedy comedy. And then the ending, or starting with the podcast, I think there's some satire, but it just doesn't really balance. It would have, yeah. maybe to try to achieve it, either have the whole thing be satirical yes. with the murder thing going on, or the whole thing be more like a screen movie where it's just comedy with people getting killed. Yes. You know, but yeah, something about the shift between the comedy, just normal comedy and satire didn't quite gel um yeah. the two people you bring up i'll kind of echo it but i'll i actually really really liked maria bakalova mm-hmm. um i thought she was really good she was kind of what held the film together for me sure um she was able to kind of push and pull the action along i did like rachel sonat i was just disappointed that she didn't have more to do but she oh, wasn't no. the main person no so, but she was know, a I, side character and i agree um, with what she had yeah. she totally made it was really good it. yeah now well, and think about too. I, 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 the only other thing I've ever seen her in was Shiva Baby. This is a very different role for her, True. like personality-wise, to play. Right. But to see that range and to see her play this very, very different type of character than what we saw in Shiva Baby, I thought was good. Well, and that's that's kind of the similar praise, I'd, which is why I appreciated Maria Bakalova because Borat's subsequent movie film, she is obviously a very much a side character oh, yeah. in that because, you know, Borat. <laughs> and also very, very different. Right, yeah. right. So then this one, she is given a lot more to do. So it's, yeah, it's just really fascinating. But it brings me to, yeah, Lee Pace was fine. He was good. <laughs> brings me to one Pete Davidson. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. I guess he's just not for me. I'm no, too, no. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too old. 
I Dime, don't watch not, Saturday Night Live anymore. Listen, I you saw have heard me King talk of about Staten Island. You've heard I me talk just, about Dave, Dave uh, Pete Davidson before. I'm. I I'm just a, don't. I just don't get it. No. I feel like, and I'm not saying he did a bad job. I just don't get his appeal, his mm. magnetism. I feel like he's got to be like one of the luckiest people in the world to have landed the Saturday Night Live gig. He's now been in at least two movies that I know of, and like I just. I guess I need to actually watch some of his stand up to get what makes people think he's he's just like very like average like I don't really see him Well, I mean he's anything. it's a very consistent part he plays in almost <laughs> right. anything I see him in. Right. I mean, yeah, this character looked acted and seemed no different than the character he played in King of Staten Island right. in my mind. And again, in all those performances, it's very it's just him. It just seems to be just him, just kind of talking through lines, and yeah, no, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan. Okay, okay. And, and I can, I think I can say this without being overly spoilery. I'm happy with the amount of time he has in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay. good enough? I, I'm just sure. going to leave it at that. Okay, I'm happy with the amount of time he's in this film. Got so, you. Yeah, um, he was definitely not one of the higher points for me in the film. Okay. So um, overall, I mean. I didn't go in with any expectations. Again, I have not seen this marketed. I have not really seen it promoted anywhere as a, as a film. So I went in with very no, no expectations on the table. And I came away slightly entertained sure. and at least finding, I, I didn't even, you mentioned about cinematography and you talk about just kind of visually it, it didn't have a lot to work with. Once it got dark, which yeah, I, totally I, I do think the use of the iPhone cell uh, um, flashlights. Sure. And glow stick, uh, glow uh, bracelets, bracelets and necklaces, and necklaces yeah, yeah, yeah. did add something kind of neat to the film. I mean, because although I thought it was funny that early in the film, as they're prepping for this hurricane party, there's an entire table of flashlights mm-hmm. and batteries that not a single person touches. I think that's, in, <laughs> that's obviously intentionally shown right. that they're much more comfortable just using their phone and their flashlight on it instead of nice big flashlights that could actually be a lot more helpful for them. Sure. And, uh, but I, I do think visually it was kind of interesting to see once it did get dark that it was just this neon glow in these iPhone flashlights. It kind of it's kind of a, a different type of look to the film. So I like that. Okay. I'll say something else. Um, I guess, I guess, yeah, I had mentioned my expectations were high and basically I'd seen the trailer a couple of times before other films and it kind of leaned into a little bit of the satire slash comedy stuff. And I, I was expecting that to be stronger. Okay. And then it see, and I didn't see any of that. So, so. I thought it was truly just going to be a horror slasher film. So I think we kind of went in with different expectations on different ends and it, didn't really satisfy either end. It was kind sure. of muddled in the middle. So, right. Yeah. I, the music and the score, the way that was used, I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty effective yeah. to capture, you know, the age range of these people having this party. And, you know, I thought that was, you know, it was scored effectively. I thought that mm-hmm. that element was good. So I guess overall we're saying it was okay. It was okay. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of ways it could have been better. I do think the ending for me hurt. Sure. Um, although again, like we said, you know, the, the final resolution, what Mechanics you learn yeah. really kind of made the film, I think, come together really nicely. But it's just the way they got there was right. really disappointing and sloppy. And I, I, I think I might have had a little bit of an eye roll in the theater, like when it was <laughs> happening. 
And all of a sudden you get to that realization moment or the final action that kind of closes out the film. It's like, Oh really? They just spent the last 10 minutes getting to this. That makes no sense. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know I wasn't the only one that felt that way. So, all right. Well, that is bodies, bodies, bodies. It is in theaters only right now. Um, I mean, for an A24 film, it got a pretty good release. I mean, it played in Hickory, North yeah. Carolina, where this we are, true. so that's, that's saying something. Sure. So it may have a, a couple weeks in the theaters uh, if you want to go check that out. Um, there's some there's something, there's something fun to have here, just maybe going with some very low expectations and just kind of let the film roll with it yeah. and see what you think. So that is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. All right, now, Chris, we're going to take a quick little break. We come back. I've got some movie news items to share with us. Got a trailer we're going to watch and kind of uh, talk about that neither of us have seen yet. And then um, we'll get to our recommendations, which may be as as par usual lately. <laughs> Maybe Chris Fry's recommendation of film to recommend because my world has been pretty much just TV series. And I know that Foot Candle Films doesn't really try to adhere to recommending television. So... We'll see where I get to by the end of the show. But anyway, okay. let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do all that other stuff I just mentioned. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. We'll see everybody in a minute. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Alan Jackson, Chris Fry with you here once again. We had our reviews of the films Prey and Bodies, Bodies, Bodies earlier in the show. But now we're moving on to talk about some news items, some upcoming productions or just general movie news. I've got a little bit of both to share with you. Actually, a couple interesting stories here for me, Chris. Okay. I don't know if you'll find these interesting, but I, I think they are. We'll get to a trailer I've got to share here in a little bit, but let's let's talk through a couple of news items first. Sure. Um, looking uh, back on this year, you and I, you know, the 2022, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people looking at predictions for what they thought the biggest films of the year were going to be and kind of where those, you know, which films were really going to like take off on the box office and be, be the big things we remember this year. I mean, I think we felt that Top Gun Maverick could have been a little bit of a surprise hit, but I really don't think any of us expect it to be as big as it's continuing to still be. You realize it's still in theaters. Sure. Yeah. It's still in the top five or six films every week. Hmm. Like it is Titanic level stuff going on here with this <laughs> film. So I'd had to kind of bring this up. Top Gun Maverick has now taken down Avengers Infinity War as the sixth highest grossing movie in box office History, yeah, domestically, United States. Right, right. Uh, it has now brought in six hundred eighty-three wow. million dollars. Wow. Which Marvel's Infinity War, uh, Avengers Infinity War, was six seventy-eight. See, um, and I, I wonder a lot of things. I wonder Top Gun Maverick having been delayed, it actually helped it, and the hype of being delayed because of the pandemic and only one of being to release in theaters. I wonder if that really helped it because people and you know, theaters did open back up, but then it was like, we need a big movie. And it was like, you have movies, but nothing was like the big movie. And then this movie was finally like, okay, here's a big movie. And it had all that built in hype 
which it would have had anyway because it was Tom Cruise returning to the role. And there was that, but like it even it magnified it. Whereas something like Avengers Endgame, that to me makes sense because it had the buildup of all the Marvel movies. So, like I don't know. So it that kind of that that makes sense too. So it doesn't surprise me that. But I wonder if what helped this succeed as much was basically the whole pandemic in a in a weird way. Could have been. Could have been. I don't know. I, I, think, I think it still would have been big. I just don't know if it, and actually I'll, I'll one up even on that. Okay. It would have been fine. The movie is good. So it would have done good box office, but I, I really suspect that it may not have surpassed like Avengers Endgame, except because of the pandemic. And also I think something that it has over Avengers Endgame is I still feel like the movie engine is still trying to catch up and put more things in theaters that are big blockbusters. And it's still, I think 20, 2023 is going to be kind of a return to normal with the deluge of summer movies, but it was still kind of a staggered summer. Mm -hmm. And I think if like Matt top gun Maverick had had to compete back when Avengers Endgame did, it would have also, so, so I'm not saying it's not a good film. I just think there's some, there's some factors that I think there's some factors that helped with that. I, I think too, I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about, Kind of the, you know, we, we feel a little inundated with the Marvel and the Disney big movies and sure. the big blockbuster, the franchise stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, technically, yes, Top Gun Maverick is a, quote, franchise movie. But I don't really think you can look at it the same way. No. I think it tapped into a desire across age groups. Yeah. That's the thing. Sure. Marvel movies still pretty much get a kind of consistent demographic of typical audience members that go out to see it. Right. It's like I said, when, when I went to go see Top Gun Maverick opening weekend. I could not believe the age range of people around me. Right. That's where I think it's pulling in those Titanic numbers. To me, Titanic is the last movie I can remember that kind of met, crossed all those different demographic groups, and it stayed in the theaters as long. Right. Because people just kept going back to it, and you've got older people going. You've got young people loving it. You've got you know, a wide variety of people and backgrounds. And uh, I can't think of another film since Titanic that's done this. Across those demographics, yes, other movies have made more money, sure. but they've done it by focusing on a certain type of audience. Right. This one has been a more of a four quadrant or whatever the marketing term behind it is. <laughs> sure. Type of film. Broader um, film. Yeah. And I think the timing played into it as well. You're right. People were kind of pent up for a couple of years. Here is a big movie that's been waiting for you to come to the theater. Theaters are just now safe enough where most people feel like they can go back. Right. And it just happens to be a cross-quadrant crowd-pleasing film with some amazing visuals that I think people really took to. And um, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, it has not, I mean, I guess when it does go streaming online, it'll go to Paramount. I don't know. It's supposed to be online digital, I think, in a couple more weeks. Okay, but the delay But it'll be has, like purchased and okay, all that. Okay, you know, so it won't be like available be for streaming HBO right Max away, I don't believe. Plus. No. Okay, so I think that's the other thing is People like the movie, and they're used to being able to see a movie more than once, but they can't because it hasn't gone online yet, so they keep heading back to the theaters. It's true. So. It has kind of pushed out its release a little right. bit further because it's still playing in the theaters. It's still making still money. Still making money, yeah. Um, what I thought was interesting, so so supposedly the next movie up on the list, like the number five movie okay. of all time, which right now Maverick's number six. Okay. The number five is Black Panther. It's at $700.4 Okay. 
And this is worldwide, right? No, this is just domestic. Oh. Yeah, just domestic. Okay. Yeah, Black Panther made $700 million in the United States. Huh. So right now, Top Gun Maverick is about $17 million away from that, hmm. which I think it could possibly beat it. Now, here's what's kind of funny, though, is they are Disney is re-releasing the first Black Panther in anticipation of the follow-up Wakanda movie, forever. yeah, sure. which could add a little bit more money to its tally. <laughs> so, whether or not Maverick can actually get to number five, don't know. But and is Disney doing that just because Top Gun Maverick? Well, they say it's because of the sequel, sure, but, but eh, you, there may be a little bit like, to make sure they at least hold on to that number five spot in the domestic tally. So, anyway, wow. uh, yeah, Top Gun Maverick is in its eleventh weekend. Wow. Eleven weekends in today's cinema is unheard of. And it's still placing in the top five. Hmm. Well, it went to sixth place on its 11th weekend. And then it's, uh, oh, wait a minute. No, it's actually more weekends than that. It went back up to number two on its 12th weekend. Wow. Yeah, because it debuted in May. So it's like May, June, July. That's three months. Hmm. Yeah, it's like over 12 weeks now. Yeah. Crazy. And I still think the reason it's been able to do that is because the typical spigot for the summer was not opened as wide as it normally has been because, yeah. because of, you know, the, the films and the production schedules and everything got really thrown off. So this one was mm. already, this one was already in the bag. This is already done, but they waited. True. So, yeah. Well, and maybe it's something to be said too. I, mean, I, I got to imagine while it was sitting there and waiting, you've got time to work on it. You've got time to, true. you know, uh, tidy it up, edit it a little bit more, kind of work, tweak it a little bit more. Maybe there's something to be said for, you know, having time to let a film kind of, <laughs> instead of a rush to put mm-hmm. something out and right. they could kind of tweak the things that worked and didn't work. And, um, maybe there's something to be said for that. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Again, I, I was the one who predicted, I thought Top Gun Maverick was going to be a, a pretty good hit. Did not expect it to be. No. Top 10 <laughs> of all time movies in the United States ever. Right. Uh, worldwide, it's doing pretty good, but it has not been released in China or Russia, which is two big film markets, especially mm-hmm. China. So the, the international tally is not as impressive because those two huge markets are not in there. Gotcha. Um, I don't think it'll make it to Russia. I feel like, especially with the first film. Uh, being very anti-Russia. Uh, can't see they'll make it there. China is the one that was a little, you know, sure. that would be a huge market for them if it opened up there, I think. so. Okay. I wonder what the effect of having... I wonder what the effect of this movie doing so well will have on the, I guess, what's supposed to be the last two Mission Impossible films. Mm-hmm. We're thinking it, you know, Top Gun Maverick. The story and the fact it was a sequel people were hungry for, or I mean, I don't think people were really hungry for Tom Cruise. Um, no, I don't think I so. I think it was just the story, the character and the story. Yeah. So will this translate at all to any of the Mission Impossible I think stuff? it can only help. It was not going to hurt it. And it's yeah, not going to yeah. hurt. But I mean, I think if I were the marketing company promoting the Mission Impossible movie, I'd make sure I say... Lots of things flying from, in planes. From, well, <laughs> from the Tom people that brought you Top Gun Maverick. Right, okay. And, yeah. you know... Uh, try to play up the connections as much as possible. And it's like, hey, do you enjoyed Maverick? Right. You enjoyed some of the aerial for, uh, uh, sequences. You liked all the action and action. you liked all that. Okay, well, you're going to like this one too. And uh, right. it can only help. I mean, and it's a two part thing, mm-hmm. correct? Okay. Yeah. 
like number seven and number eight, I think. Right. And then that's supposedly it. Well, <laughs> sure. Alan just supposedly, his eyes. supposedly that's it. I mean, right. I never believe anybody who says it's the end of a franchise because they're going to find if if it makes money, they're going to find. And a in way theory, to they'd it. already tried to do this once because they brought in Jeremy Renner, and it was kind of like he was going to be the new. Jeremy Renner was set up in uh, uh, um, Ghost Protocol to kind of be a setup for a new one, and and I don't know if it was a matter where. Tom Cruise changed his mind, decided he wanted to keep doing the franchise. I don't know if it was a matter of they just didn't, it didn't test as well with audiences uh, to have Jeremy Renner kind of take on that lead. I don't know, but Maverick kept going. So (laughs) Tom Cruise anyway, of course. All right, Chris, let me, uh, let's, let's change gears to another story. This one I thought was just interesting and I didn't, I had not heard anything about this story until this weekend. Hmm. And it's kind of made its rounds. This is from uh, Variety uh, reported on this uh, just a few days ago. Okay. So Jamie Foxx. I know who You he know is. Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx uh, directed a movie. Okay. Called All-Star Weekend. Are you familiar with it? No. Okay. I have not well, heard of that's, it. That's right. Because he made it back in 2016. Whoa. With a cast that included Jeremy Piven, Robert Downey Jr., Benicio Del Toro, Gerard Butler, and Eva Longoria. What is it? Okay. Comedy? So it's about, is yes, it's about uh, Jamie Foxx and Jeremy Piven, two best friends who win tickets to the annual NBA All-Star Weekend event. Okay. And they take a road trip to Los Angeles to attend the game, but their journey is upended by a handful of wacky characters. Okay. Okay. So he made so this film. So it's a road trip buddy movie. Yeah. Directed and made, finished in 2016. Never released. Okay. Probably means it's really terrible. Not necessarily. Supposedly, this is all what Variety is reporting. I don't know how accurate it is, but this is what they're they're hearing. Is that Jamie Foxx is the one who decided not to release it. Because there are some characters in the film. That aren't politically correct or something? Correct. Uh, Well, most notably, Robert Downey Jr. in the film plays a Mexican. Oh. Yeah. And Jamie Foxx has said that I don't, I, I am, I don't feel like comedy, the comedy world right now would allow me to release this film. Also, Jamie Foxx plays multiple roles. Did he, did he write this? I believe so. Yes. Okay. And also the Jamie Foxx plays multiple roles in the movie. One of them is as a white racist cop. So between those characters, oh. basically he has come out and said, um, I just don't think this would play well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically I think Jeremy Piven was asked uh, just in the last little bit on an interview about this film. And he just said, Jamie doesn't want to release it. Okay. It's one of those things. This is quoted from Jeremy Piven. It's one of those things where Jamie Foxx is probably the most talented guy I've ever been around. Funniest guy in the room. He can sing. There's nothing he can't do. I had my, the time of my life on this film, but Jamie Foxx is really hard on himself. Uh, he's one of those dudes, you know, he wants it to be perfect. So he's been holding on this thing for five years. It supposedly is not choosing to release it now. Well, I mean, I'm of two minds of this. So, you know, that brings in the whole, which I don't want to steal your um, thunder, but I think, (laughs) I don't think this was the second news item. Then we're doing the trailer. So I don't think I am stealing. That's interesting because this is, this is a comparison to the whole Batgirl dilemma. Yeah. Uh, bad girl, you know, was Warner Brothers. They'd finished the mm. movie. I get. Did we discuss that? On we the have last not show? discussed it. No, okay, no, but, we missed that. So, okay, so you're right. To give background, Alan may be better on this, but they had a film. Warner Brothers had Bad Girl. It was shot. It was finished, and then with some 
stuff going on with Warner Brothers and HBO Max, they were like, oh, we're not going to release this. Not only are we not going to put this film in theaters, we're just not going to release it. It's not going to be released at all. It's just poof, you know? Um, And a lot of people online got really cranky because they were like, oh, we like Batgirl. And, you know, yeah, it's a shame. And it had uh, Brendan Fraser and Mm -hmm. Michael Keaton, I think, in it. Yes. So, yeah. And they're, you know, and just gone. So it's interesting, the reasoning, which I'm still not clear on the reasoning for that one. But the reasoning for this one, you're like, huh, interesting. Like, Well, you always have yeah. the question with these films. Okay, are they bad movies? All right, that's always a possibility. You could True. have had Batgirl. They could have been the executives of Warner Brothers, saw the film, and said, oh, yeah, we're not releasing this. Well, and I would understand them not releasing it in the theater because that takes – there's like a bigger push in marketing. Yeah. But just to put it out on HBO Max, why wouldn't you? Like, yeah, but eh. again, <laughs> but one, one option is it's bad. And I mean, it does tarnish the brand or tarnish the brand a little bit. If you release a film, even on a streaming platform, if it's a bad movie, it becomes a meme. It becomes like Uh, a bad movie. That's possibility. But isn't all publicity good publicity? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I know. Or uh, in the case of Batgirl, the the issue was there is that supposedly Warner Brothers and and, and the way they're restructuring things, they they don't want any... um, they only want to be releasing films in this DC universe that are really big, big budget, big spectacle movies. And, and they said was Batgirl smaller, was a smaller okay. budget film. I don't understand that, but that's <laughs> kind of their rationale for it. Huh. With this film, All-Star Weekend, which, I mean, let's just be honest. It doesn't sound appealing to me. I, it's not the premise or anything. It sounds really interesting but i do think jamie fox is a really talented guy he can, and he can be funny so him yeah. doing a comedy instead of like a throwaway action movie or something so so this is either a question of the movie's bad and jamie fox knows it or people <laughs> who were wanting to release it know it and so they just shelved it mm-hmm. or he it truly is that he just does not feel like it would it would get skewered like think about Tropic Thunder, right. the movie that Robert Downey Jr. played an African American person. Well, he played. But they acknowledged he played. Person. Yeah, but they using a satire. He was right. a Caucasian man, right, playing an African American in the film, right, and they acknowledge how racist wrong. and wrong that was. Right. If that's not the way that this film is presenting, is Robert Downey Jr. just is playing a Mexican guy and is played for laughs and for fun. I can understand there being some backlash on that. Right. But I also, I'm, and there's a part of me that hates that, you know, to see any work not get released if it's been put together and done well, because of Jamie concerns Fox of how is, people could. At least re- Jamie you know, Foxx is making the decision. That's what it sounds like. Unless yeah. if that's true, he's going to be like, yeah, this doesn't fly well. You know, I, I'm just going to, as opposed to just a movie company telling yeah. him, telling the artist he can't, the artist is telling himself, right. I'm not going to release it. So The other side of the coin that's not mentioned in this Friday article, but has to be kind of kept in mind, Jeremy Piven, who's the co-star, mm-hmm. uh, about a year after they made this film, he, he got into some, he's had some issues. Oh, I see. There have been some, a lot of personal s- stuff. sexual, uh, sexual uh, allegations against him and some claims from different people in this past. Okay. So that all kind of came up. Granted, Jeremy Piven, I don't think it like flooded the, uh, the, the, the news w- uh, wire with it. The way He's, it has for like Ezra Miller. Right. But I think uh, that's probably got to play a little bit of a factor. It's like, okay, well not only do we have some elements of this film that are going to really probably not play well with some audiences, but Jeremy Piven, the co-star, also had his own issues. Gotcha. So maybe a lot of that involved. But it's just, to me, it's fascinating when people make an entire film, which finish yeah. it, yeah. and choose not to release it. 
Right. That's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. So, so I just threw out, which this, you know, <laughs> it's little things that we haven't talked about. You know, there's the Batgirl thing. What do you think they're going to end up doing with the Flash movie? Ezra Miller, who's the star, has had a lot of personal stuff going on, been in trouble, and um, then tried to – recently kind of had a post that said, you know, I've had some mental yep. you know, problems, and you know, it's like I'm trying to get help. And, and a, lot, a lot of people – it was kind of in conjunction with Batgirl. They're like, how dare you shelve Batgirl when there's this you know, problems going on with Flash? Like – and they were like, that That was still on the screen. Well, and it's also problematic, too. Batgirl, uh, Leslie Grace was playing Batgirl. She okay. was from In the Heights and some other movies. And I, I thought she was great in In the Heights. I which which was character talented. was she? I don't forget the character. I don't remember the character's was name. Juliet, but she was, or she was the Juliet She was character. the one who came home from college. Oh, okay. So it is the Juliet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, in this thing, she's not named Juliet. But the right. Romeo and Juliet story, she's the Juliet character. Correct. Okay, got you. Yep. She's playing Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. So she's a African-American Latino actress. Got you. And you shelve her film. But then you've got Ezra Miller, a uh, young white guy. Right. <laughs> that's causing so many problems and so many so many things brought up against him. So many uh, skirmishes with the law. So right. many uh, accusations from people who have encountered him. And yet the film's still on track. Their argument is, is that the Flash movie is kind of their big tentpole movie. I mean, it's like hundreds of millions of dollars going into it. Mm-hmm. It's already filmed. It's like, we have to release this. We can't write Where's this whole that? thing off. I, I and plus, it. it's such a cornerstone for, I think, what they want to do with all the going other DC forward. movies. Batgirl was disposable. They could say, well, it doesn't affect anything if we just shelve this one. The optics are really bad, though. Yes. I mean, Agreed. <laughs> yes. Very, very bad. Now, I'll tell you, Ezra Miller putting out that statement last week. It, it needed to happen sure. because basically, I mean, I don't know what kind of forcing they had to do to get him to make that statement, but I think it needed to happen as long as he still stays in the clear until release date. I think that, I think the Warner brothers can look at it and say, look, this is an actor. He's had some challenges. He had, he acknowledged them. You know, we want him to get help. We want him to be you know successful and all that. And we're going to release this film. Now, if he has other issues in the next little bit, it's going to be really hard at that point for Warner Brothers to say, how do we, how do we justify doing this? Wow. I think it's interesting. It's a fascinating world. Um, yeah. Anyway, there's a part of me, too, that says, you know, why should everybody who is involved in making this film? Ezra Miller is not the only person sure, making this film. Yeah, tons of other Hundreds actors, of people yeah. involved. Sure. Artists and designers and production designers and visual artists basically all don't get to see a piece of work that they worked on for years get released because of one person. Yeah. That is a tough thing to swallow. Sure. But of course I feel the same way about everybody who worked on Batgirls. Like right. it's not even because of one person. It's just because a corporate decision causes their work to not be seen. Right. Anyway. Okay. Was that our soapbox? We did our soapbox there <laughs> sure. for a little bit. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Anyway, I just thought this was a fascinating story about all star weekend. Had no idea that film even existed. In 2016. Yeah. Wow. They shot it in 2016. It's been done for five years. Mm. So. Wow. But all the actors pretty much acknowledge that, yeah, Jamie Foxx does not want to release it. So. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last thing we'll do here real quick. Um, we like to show trailers. Yes. On the show. Like you and I talk about trailers that we see. And granted, I know it's an audio podcast. So visually there's not, you know, you can't see the trailer, <laughs> but we do encourage you to go look at it online. If what we're going to play this clip of sounds in- intriguing at all. 
Uh, we haven't done this before. Uh, it's a blind trailer for both of us, okay. meaning I haven't seen it either. Um, but I'm curious about it. Uh, is a film coming out? It's going to be an Apple TV Plus movie, which okay. right away adds a little bit of intrigue to me. I mean, I think Apple TV Plus is slowly stepping up their game with the quality of work they're producing. I mean, they did win Best Picture. They won Best Picture for Coda. Mm-hmm. I know we reviewed uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth about yes. a month or so ago, and that was an Apple TV Plus movie. Right. I know there's a lot of big directors coming to Apple TV Plus. They're going to be making some movies there. So anyway, I, I think they're on an upward trajectory as far as the quality of work. So whenever I hear about a new Apple TV Plus movie, my ears now kind of perk up a little sure. bit. I'm like, all right, I'm kind of curious to see what this is. This is a film called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. And it stars Zac Efron, okay. Russell Crowe, and most notably for me, Bill Murray. Yes. Which Bill Murray doesn't make tons of films. No. Especially um, ones that aren't associated with Wes Anderson. Or uh, like little independent movies he's made from time to time or sure. little smaller roles in those. This seems to be kind of a bigger movie, quote, bigger movie that he's going to be in. I have not watched the trailer yet. The trailer's okay. out. Excellent. I'm curious about it. Um, I don't remember when exactly this comes out on Apple TV Plus, but I know it should be soon. Okay. So... Would you like to watch this trailer with Absolutely. me? Absolutely. Let's watch this trailer and then we'll dissect and talk about it afterwards, okay? Here we go. I'm going to Vietnam and I'm bringing a beer! Yeah! Are you ready? What are we doing? We're going to run for our lives. So that was the trailer for the greatest beer run ever. Coming out September 30th, I think we saw on the, the title card there yes. on Apple TV+. Plus. Chris, any immediate thoughts? Well, a little behind the scenes. When we were uh, setting up the show, Alan and I kind of briefly go over, here's what we're going to talk about. Alan mentioned this trailer. I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, Peter Fairley. I was like, okay. He's one of the Fairley brothers, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the Fairley brothers. It's the guy who behind Green Book. And I was like, oh, Okay. Um, if you want to hear what Alan and I have to say about Green Book, <laughs> go back a couple of years in our podcast stream and uh, we won't rehash it here. But knowing that going into this trailer um, gives me a little bit of a, a worried vibe just mm-hmm. because I had some issues with Green Book. Overall, you know, based on a true story, interesting story, but the way some of the things in that film came off kind of gave me an icky feeling. With this film, in theory, this is based on a true story as well about a guy who's trying to connect with some friends who are over in Vietnam and he, you know, does a beer run. It's in mm-hmm. the title and goes over there strictly just to like try to, you know, show them people care about them. Interesting, crazy that that apparently did happen. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But just totally in the movie, it's kind of like it seems like it could get some heavy handed and it's trying to be funny, which, okay, you know, yeah, the mere fact that somebody decided to do this is kind of ludicrous. But then maybe, I, I, I don't know, I'm a little, I'm a little leery. It's all, it's all in the execution, which we'll see yeah, when the film comes agreed. out. But uh, knowing some of the backstory that you provided about who directed it and who had some hands in it, yeah, a little leery. Plus, Bill Murray seems like he probably was there for maybe a day of shooting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From, so Bill Murray playing a uh, bartender. Right. He's in the trailer. I get the sense that may be kind of encapsulation of his whole role. Yeah. Is just behind the bar in a couple of key scenes at the beginning, and that's about it. Right. Um, we'll see. I, yeah, um, who knows? 
I, uh, I, I'm still intrigued. Yeah. The Peter Farrelly side of it. Look, I got to, I'll, I'll freely admit, I, I think the Farrelly brothers, when they did comedies, they were good. Which Green Book was not a comedy. It Green was a Book drama. was not a comedy. You're right. Um, but you know, the Peter Farrelly is, can make some good movies. Something about Mary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dumb and Dumber, okay. Kingpin, which had uh, Bill Murray in as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I think Peter Farrelly trying to go into drama with Green Book, that was just, it was a, it was a miss. It just, you're right. Tonally, it didn't work. There was some, un- it just did not, uh, and I think it got a lot of flack, rightfully so, for not really portraying um, all sides of the story kind of in, in, in the same light. Right. This one, I, I don't know. I am curious about Zac Efron. I think he's one of those actors that I kind of want to see him do something really standout role for him. Did you ever see him in, I cannot remember the name of it, something like Extremely Vile. Yeah, that was part of the title. Extremely, he played oh, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. No, I didn't. Didn't but like I heard, the film, but I thought he was good in it. Yeah. Well, I kind of think he needs that role that's like a, a defining role for okay. him, something where he could really act. Sure. But it's also a role that is kind of an important role for him. Sure. This could be it. Okay. This could be that showcase role if the movie's good. I don't. Again, Apple TV Plus is bringing it, which means to me it's at least passes the threshold of it's a decent movie. Okay, I just don't <laughs> right. think Apple TV is in the is in the business right now of just signing off and distributing bad movies. Right. I mean, they right. They're they're not about quantity they're trying to focus on quality exactly i got you so i at least feel like the quality is going to be there okay and it does seem like quote an important film as far as you know it's vietnam it seems to have some real kind of important drama moments in it and, along with it being a lighter story to begin with um so i'm i'm curious i don't know i get a little bit of a Forrest gump vibes from it i don't know if that's kind uh, of the tone they're going for kind of injecting granted it's a true story where Forrest gump wasn't Right. wasn't right. but kind of injecting somebody into real life historical situations and seeing it from their perspective. I don't know. Right. Um, hmm. And of course, you know, getting the music from the time period and sure. all that, uh, having a little bit of a patriotic slant to it, I'm sure. And I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm curious. I mean, it being on Apple TV plus, I will watch it because <laughs> it's there. Sure. It's on my TV set at home. Sure. Why not? But I am, I'm curious about it. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out for the same reasons. So yeah. All right. Good. Well, that is the news items we have for today. So again, we're talked about um, All Star Weekend, the hidden film from Jamie Foxx that may never get to see the light of day, along with the Batgirl controversy that we had, and then um, talked also about Top Gun Maverick, biggest movie in many many years, one of the (laughs) biggest of all time in the United States. Crazy, crazy. All right, Chris. Well, this is the end of the show. This is where you and I both traditionally try to give a recommendation of a film that we think is worth checking out. Now, I have owned up to the fact that I do not watch as many movies. Um, sure. A lot more of the time when I do have time to watch something, it has been more episodic TV. Gotcha. Because I just find that there's just so much out there to watch that's good right now. So I do not have a film to recommend. Okay. I can recommend rattle off a couple of episodic TV shows I think are worth checking out, but I don't want well, to skew well, away from the mission of candle films Well, give too us much. one, because I will say for the audience, the last show you recommended the rehearsal, and I have now caught up with it and actually surpassed Alan's viewing of it, 
and I will second that recommendation that it is, it is unlike, it is unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, I can't really, if you want to hear what it was, go back and listen to the last episode where Alan recommended it, but it's, you know, I think everybody pretty, well, not everybody, but a lot of people are like, just think all reality TV at this point is kind of garbage. They're over the uniqueness of it that came with like some of the survivor stuff. And I'm one of those people. I have, I can't tell you the last reality something I watched, but this is like, yeah, it's a whole nother <laughs> thing. I don't even know what it is. Yeah, there's no label but for I, it. But yeah, problem. so, you know, that, that was a winner. So if you have one that's top of mind that you can recommend, it may not come to the heights of uh, the rehearsal. Well, I mean, I will say I, I, right now the film, the, the show that is the closest to a movie and, I, but, but it is in an episodic format is right now on Netflix. It is the Sandman. Okay. It is the adaptation of the DC uh, um, kind of little, it's their comics universe, but is a little bit more on the, I don't want to say it's not this mature. It's just, it's definitely uh, heavier stuff that DC comics put out back in the eighties and nineties. And uh, they made a TV adaptation show of it. And uh, I've seen, you know, three, almost four, I think I've seen four episodes of it. Yeah. And it's really good. It's very well done. It's a, uh, it is episodic, but it, it has enough of a through line to it. It's it's and it's very cinematic. So I, okay. I think it's a really good show. Very faithful to the source material in many ways as well. So mm-hmm. uh, and Neil Gaiman's a big fan of it. I mean, he of course he wrote it. He's been very very active in the production of it. So um, it's good. Hmm. It's very okay. very good. I'm four episodes in and I'm liking it quite a bit. Okay, well I, so I, I do I'll plan to that. check that one out. So. Yeah, I'm sure I knew you you would yep. at some point. So. I think you'll enjoy it. I'll be anxious to hear your thoughts on it. Interesting, which, you know, from what you've said about it being episodic, as opposed to like each kind of can be encapsulated. You don't have to, you know, it's not like it's a, it does have an overall arc, I think you're saying, but it is more episodic. Maybe that explains to me why they just didn't make a movie because DC kind of needs a win as far as movies are concerned. And this is technically one of their properties. So, but I guess they just figured. But they can go just a lot deeper with it. Yeah. Because I mean, it's. It would have been tough, I think, to boil the whole story they want to tell into a movie. Gotcha. Um, but that's the closest thing I've got to a recommendation right now, unfortunately. Okay. Um, Fair enough. The only other thing I'll, I'll throw out there, uh, a film I did catch it back up with from the past that I'll just say, because it's the only thing I can, I, and we reviewed it many, many, many years ago when it came oh, out. Okay. Um, Silver Linings Playbook oh. by David O. Russell. Okay. I did revisit that. I don't remember why. <laughs> but I did watch it again. And okay. um, you wanted some Bradley Cooper in your life. Maybe a little bit of that. Okay. Something about the film I was curious about. I think it was, it was maybe even the soundtrack. I was curious, like uh, songs that I really liked from the soundtrack. So I ended up watching the movie again. Okay. And to me, it still really holds up. It's still a, uh, I like David O. Russell films in general. Okay. I find them at least interesting, even if they don't always work for me as well. Silver Linings Playbook, I think is my favorite of his. I know it got some flack at the right. time yeah, because of its depiction of people with mental illnesses and, and, okay. and dealing with, uh, uh, yeah, basically mental illness. Okay. And I, I get it. Yes. There are, if you look at it from a certain lens, it can be a little, a little troubling. cringe and troubling to watch. Okay. I tend to watch it from a different lens. And I think, uh, the lens of, of family, the, the nature of the family that we are exposed to yeah. uh, stood out more for me. It makes more of an impact to me. So I think it's well acted. I think it's a great film. I love uh, dance sequence. 
that we huh. have towards the end of the film is okay. still one of my favorite film moments in, in the last few, several years. So hmm. yeah, Silver Linings Playbook, I'm still vouching for. I think I still think it's a very good movie. So that's, I guess I did kind of squeeze out a recommendation yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but Chris, I'm always anxious to hear what, what are you recommending for us this week? So um, I'm going to recommend a film from 2020 and it's on Amazon Prime. So you can watch it from the safety comfort of your own couch. It is Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. It um, mm. is by director Dunta Yamaguchi, and it tells it's it's science fiction. Um, it's a cafe owner discovers the TV in his cafe suddenly shows images from the future, but only two minutes into the future. <laughs> so, mm. um, sounds like kind of a premise that would have been done by. Um, Who's that really? Michelle Gondry type thing has kind of a Michelle Gondry feel. The other thing to know about the film is it's a one, it's all done in one take. Oh, wow. So it's a one take time travel sci-fi comedy. It, uh, another benefit for, you know, you don't have to take a drink, but I guess you do. If you're taking a drink every time I talk about running time, it's only 70 minutes. Hmm. So, um, I, you know, watched it, thought it was great. I'd heard some people talk about it on a letterbox and on Twitter. So I checked it out and, you know, I kind of wrote my little review on Letterboxd. It was the charming indie sci-fi romantic comedy from Japan that I didn't know I needed, but sure, I'm glad I watched. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's nice. that's the thing is that, you know, it's – and it's nothing, you know, extremely profound. It's just kind of a cool idea, and normally that can kind of run out of its effectiveness after the 15, 20-minute mark where you're mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, this should have been a short film. But no, they, they somehow kept doing little things that made it worthwhile, and they kept it – Short as well, yeah. 70 minutes. So, that's yeah, good. that's uh, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, and it's uh, up on Amazon Prime. I'd check it out. Okay, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this, and I okay. uh, was happy to hear your recommendation of it, so I'll definitely be checking that out now. So, All right, so we gave a few things people could check out. Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, and you said that was on Amazon. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Sandman as a series is on uh, Netflix. And then uh, Silver Lang's Playbook, I'm, I'm, I don't know if streaming service is on, but it's rental. I'm sure you can find it. Rental, Amazon, or Apple TV, or wherever it may be. So, Sure. Um, okay. Well, I think we're done for today. So our reviews of Prey, Bodies, 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 Prey, we're both positive yes. on. Thought enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, bodies, 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 we are mixed on. I think I came out ultimately a little positive on it, although we, you were, you were a little let down by it from sure. expectations, but... We both kind of had the same issues with it, I think, right. that um, at the end of the day. And then our news items and our recommendations we had. So, Chris, if anybody has any follow-up to us, any rebuttal, anything they want to chime in on, any of the stories we talked about, how can they get a hold of us? You can send an email to us at info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Al and I are both on Letterboxd. I just talked about how I'm on there every once in a while. We try to track what we're seeing, and sometimes we leave reviews. Do us a favor, uh, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts on, uh, because it'll help us reach new listeners. Last but not least, the 2022 Foot Candle Film Festival will be held this year, September 21st through the 25th. So we're about, as of this recording, we're about a month away. Uh, Don't miss it. If you live in North Carolina, if you can't attend, you can also stream the films online. So that's an advantage if you happen to live in North Carolina. But uh, we'd love to have you join us in person or virtually for the festival. That's right. Bookhandlefilmfestival.com is where you can go to get tickets and see little bits of all the films that we're going to be showing over the course of the weekend. 
And uh, we, like Chris said, we'd hope to see you in Western North Carolina in uh, late September. It's going to be a good time. Okay, Chris, well, we are all done. We're going to wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will look forward to talking to everybody on Foot Candle Films next time we record. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.